Well, good morning. It's good to see you all here this morning, and um, it's a beautiful day, right? It's a beautiful, beautiful day, and uh, we want to welcome those at the venue service as well. I was over there, and man, they were rocking it out in worship over there uh, uh, this morning. I, I loved seeing the room full. You guys really did a great job worshiping to get, to get together in song uh, this morning. And you guys did good here, too. You guys did good here, too. So, hey, uh, just so you know, um, uh, the uh, meal starts at 6 o'clock tonight, but the doors will open at 5.30, okay? All right? So we don't want, you know, these people start bounding on the doors of you know, wanting in. Uh, so uh, the doors open at 5.30. You can find your seating. There will be people directing you around for that as well. Well... Thanksgiving is here. Can you believe it? It's been a year. That is the understatement uh, in that video, but a, a reflection as well. You know, this past series, we've been talking about to whom much is given. Much is required of us. Much is required. To much is given, much is required in how we steward our lives with what God has given to us. With what much is given, much is uh, required in beating the, the selfishness of greed, right? To be able to not just hoard it for ourselves. We're great hoarders. Just look in your garage and in your attic and, and uh, maybe your storage rooms and all those things. Uh, we, we love to keep things to ourselves. But to beat the greed is to live generously. To give what you have to give to others. See, God gave so that we may give. That's his heart. That's his heart. And, and this morning, we're going to talk about the blessedness of contentment. And I've been discontent ever since I've given this assignment. I'm telling you. Even, to, even at the moment of sitting down in that front seat, I'm still thinking, man, I don't know if this is really, the, what, God, is this really what, you know, and I'm just, I'm just in, in an inner turmoil in myself. One of the things that I did learn in, in the lesson of contentment was a number of years ago when I took a, a group of high schoolers to Matamoros, Mexico. In Matamoros, Mexico, just across the border, there was this community of people that had journeyed up to the northern end of Mexico hoping to get a job, but then finding there was none. And we ended up in Matamoros in this community of thousands and thousands of people where their homes were made up of uh, wooden pallets, um, tied up plastic bags, bags stuffed in the, in the, uh, the pallets to try to pro provide protection from the elements and dirt floors. And that week we spent some time doing a vacation Bible school in that community, but we also were adopted a family that we were going to build a structure for, a place where they were going to be able to have a roof over their heads, going to have walls, and, and not have dirt as their floor. And we built this 10 by 10 structure. Not fancy. I mean, it was me leading a bunch of high schoolers to build this, this structure. In fact, your storage uh, place in the back of your yard where you put your lawnmowers and bikes and all your garden tools, 
was, it was probably a five-star compared to this. And we ended up closing out that week, and we gathered around the family, and we prayed over this, this, this 10 by 10 building, one room for a family of six. And that 10 by 10 room would be the kitchen, the living room, the bedroom. No indoor plumbing, none of that. And we prayed for God to bless this family. And as we finished with the prayer, the, the father, the, the man of the house, stepped forward. And I will never, ever, ever forget what he had said. He quoted a passage from Proverbs chapter 30, verse 7 through 9. And this passage said this, To whom two things I ask of you, Lord, do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and dishonor the name of God. And I mean, that just, that just hit my heart in such a way. He understood what Jesus was saying in the passage that we've been looking at, to whom much is given, much is required. He understood this moment that they were going to have this 10 by 10 building structure, one room where they're going to have their bedroom, their kitchen, and, and they're going to hang out in, but they had, they had wooden floor. They had a plywood floor. They didn't have carpet. They didn't have linoleum. They just had a wooden floor, but they were so grateful. And what he wanted to make sure was, in the blessing of having this structure, that he would not forget what is required that God was the provider of it all. That he would not go on living his life as if he was deserving of this. So that day, I said to myself, I understand what contentment is now. I understand what it means to be content. And I said to myself, as we left Matamoros, Mexico that, that summer, and we flew back home, I said to myself, I will never be discontent again. I will always be grateful for everything that I have. And God, help me not to take all the abundance that I have and disown you and forget who you are. But when I'm suffering and struggling, help me to also remember that you are my sufficiency in all things. And I thought I found the secret of contentment. I thought, this is it. And that lasted for about a half a week. And I want to tell you today that I'm still wrestling with the spirit of contentment. In fact, yesterday, I, it rose up in me again. Nebraska's winning 54 to nothing. And a Maryland running back runs right up the middle and scores a touchdown. And I'm going, no! I wanted to beat him 54 to nothing. I'm thinking, oh, there it is. There that ugly discontent is. It's never satisfied. Even if I were, we would have won by one point, never would have been satisfied. One thing I know is the battle of contentment is a universal problem. It doesn't matter if you're single, you're married, 
If you're a widow, you're rich, you're poor, you're young or old, in college or out of college, within every human heart, there's this battle that we have with contentment and being discontent in our lives. Jesus says, to whom much is given, much is required. Yet we find within every human heart a battle of contentment. Philippians 4, Paul says in Philippians 4, the last part of the verse, we'll look at this a little later in the message, but he says, I, I have found the secret to being content. I have found it. I mean, Paul was wrestling with contentment. And today, rather than just talking about this concept of contentment, I want to walk you through three scenes throughout Scripture. I want you to walk through this with me, and I want you to, what we're going to do in these three scenes is we're going to look at, number one, what is behind the spirit of being discontent? Because we all have it. We all have it at one point or time in our life that we have a spirit of discontent. And number two, what causes us? What causes us to be discontent? But the third point is what I really want to get you to is how do we nurture and cultivate a heart of contentment? Well, the very first scene is in a garden. And we go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 9. And in that very moment, if you want to find out what contentment looks like, it is in the very first part of creation, right? I mean, you cannot help but not notice that there is complete contentment here. The Lord God made all kinds of trees, it says in verse 9, to grow out of the ground trees that were pleasing to the eyes. They were good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And then later in the chapter, he talks about Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, after he had made Adam. It says here that the Lord took Adam and put him right in the middle of that garden, the Garden of Eden. And he put him there to work it and to take care of it. In other words, he put him there to steward that which he had given to them. Take care of this. I'm giving this to you. I'm, I'm blessing you with the, the most beautiful garden you could ever have. In fact, he says, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden. That's like going to a resort, right? And hey, you have this all-inclusive, right? You can eat and eat and eat all you want. It's never, in fact, you didn't have to pay for this resort. It was all given to him. But there becomes a shift that happens in Genesis chapter 3. God generously provided all things for Adam and Eve, and in Genesis chapter 3, they were pleasing to the eyes, and all of a sudden there becomes this conversation at the tree. A conversation, a voice from without that started with Adam and Eve and having to converse. And the very first thing that was said was, hey, um, does this, uh, do you, um, let's see, all the trees of the garden, um, are you able to eat from any of them? 
And Eve answers and says, you know, uh, yes, the woman saw this and she said, uh, we can eat from any of the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat of the tree in the middle of the garden. And then she added a little disclaimer. We can't even touch it. Okay? She kind of added a little bit to that. But this conversation started happening. And I'm beginning to think this was the moment. We, we consider the, the fall of man happened when we took the fruit. That was the outward action of what was really happening inside. Because what was really happening inside, the longer she listened, and the longer she looked, and the longer she rationalized, she and Adam together, a spirit of discontent started happening. You see, I believe in the garden was the seed of discontent. The seed of discontentment happened. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when I read this, I, would, I, I scream inside and I'd just say, just turn away! If you would have just pivoted, if you would have just taken this moment, this conversation from this tree, the tree that you knew you were supposed if you would have just pivoted, you would have had a different perspective of all that you had. Because God gave every good tree. And all the trees in the garden were pleasing. If he would have just pivoted their eyes from that voice from without saying, if you had this, this is what you really need. Hey, did God really say? And all of a sudden, if they would have just pivoted, pivoted from listening to the voice, pivoted from looking at that which God said was his to have, and pivoted in his heart, in his mind, because the enemy says, if you take this fruit, you'll be like God. You can make your own choices. And you'll, like, you'll be able to know good from evil. How many of you feel that that was a good offer? You know, when we think about, you know, how we steward that which... God has given us, how we steward God, that what God gives us, our time, our talent, our treasure, really leaves us with the legacy, right? That's what Adrian said. And I love that. And you think about this. What if, what if, what if Adam and Eve would have pivoted at that moment and said, I don't need to listen to this. I don't need to look at this. This, I have all of this around me. I have all of this at my disposal. What if they would have taken the time to look what they had instead of continuing to look at what they shouldn't have? What if they would have taken the time to listen and remember what God had given them? What if they would have taken the time to steward that which God said, I want you to work this, and I want you to take care of this garden. What if? And because they didn't pivot, just think of the legacy that they left. All of us battle with it now. All of us battle with it. You see, the, when, when the Proverbs, when Proverbs 30, verse, verse 8 the, 
the wise man said, I ask two things of you, Lord. I want you to keep me, keep falsehood and lies from me. Listen, the longer we look, the longer we listen, and the longer we linger, the more apt we're going to forget and avoid and forget remembering all the blessing we have around us, all that God has already given us. Well, that was the first garden. The secret of contentment in this garden, the secret of staying content in this garden was in the power of the pivot. If they would have just turned away. Turned away in their heart, turned away in their ears, turned away with their eyes they'd still be enjoying the great garden, right? And so would we. So the second garden is the garden of heartache. You may say, well, pastor, that, that's great, you know, the abundance, but I'm telling you, that's not my life right now. My life is filled with heartache. My life is filled with battles and difficulties. And I want to say to you, in that garden, you too can find contentment. And I, I want to take you to a garden called the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus, the Son of God, fully man, fully God, in the garden, was battling with the heart of contentment. It says in Matthew 26, he said to the disciples, my soul is overwhelmed. Have you ever, have you ever been overwhelmed? Has there ever been a time in your life I'm the only one that's ever been overwhelmed? You guys are overwhelming me by not being overwhelmed. Okay? I'm thinking you should be up here preaching, okay, about contentment. But Jesus said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Have you ever been in circumstances in your life where you're just going, why me, God? What's going on in my life? Why this circumstance? Why, why has this been handed to me? That's where Jesus was. He goes a little further. He falls to his face to the ground, and he prays, and he says, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be what? Taken from me. A spirit of discontent. Have you ever been in a situation or a circumstance if you could, where you just say, I don't like the job I'm doing right now. If you could, God, if you could just take this job from me, if you could just give me something else. I don't like the circumstance that you have in me with, uh, that I'm facing right now and all the battles that I'm having with relationships. Could you just take this from me? I don't like the diagnosis that I've been given right now. I don't want to have to go through the battle of battling with my health. But God, if you could just take this from me. But the spirit of discontent was whelming over Jesus' life. But look what he says. Yet, not as I will, but your will be done. So Jesus is looking at that cross. 
He's looking at that cross, and he's realizing all the circumstances that was going to be before him. He's looking at that cross, and he was realizing that he was going to be betrayed. He was going to, be, he was going to not only be betrayed, he's going to be denied, and he's going to be left alone, and he's going to, everybody's going to hate him, and he's going to be all by himself, and he's going to be mocked, and he's going to be ridiculed. He's going to face all those circumstances. And Jesus said a second time he went away. And he said a second time, my father, if it is not possible for this to cup to be what? Taken away. God, if you could just get me out of this circumstance right now. If you could just get me out of this right now. I just, I don't know what to do. And then he pivots again. And he says, yet not my will, but your will be done. And you'd think that maybe twice was enough for Jesus, right? But he goes back and it says in, in Matthew 26, so he left them and went back one more, once more and prayed the third time saying the same thing. I know that some of you are overwhelmed with heartache in your life right now. I know that some of you are facing some difficult times and some challenges and there's this, there's this kind of this weightiness to it and you're overwhelmed with just having to battle over and over, day by day by day. And I know that what you'd want is just this to be taken from you. And Jesus models for us that in all of his humanness, he became discontent. But in that, what he did is that rather than focusing all of his energy on the circumstances that were going to be against him, he pivoted before God in submission and realize that God was his sufficiency in all things. Yet not my will, but your will be done. Let me ask you this. How well did Jesus steward his time in the most difficult of circumstances? How well did he steward his skill and his abilities in the moment of the most difficult circumstances? And how well did he treasure what God has laid upon his heart? And aren't we all just so grateful that our Savior decided to not just get overwhelmed by the circumstances and, and get consumed by them, but had a heart of submission to say, God, I don't understand why I'm facing the circumstances I am. I don't understand why I'm hurting the way I am. I don't understand why my life has to deal with all this. But I, all I know is, yet not my will, but your will be done because, God, you are my all-sufficient God. I love this part because Jesus was listening to the voice within. Don't we have that voice within that says, you know, you deserve better than this. You know what? I know. You're getting the shaft. And Jesus was listening to that voice within, and he said, I don't, I, I don't deserve to go through that. I don't want to go through this. Yet not what I will, but your will be done. The word yet is such a pivot. The word yet was such a pivot that he was saying, I'll face that with the all-sufficient help of my God. I'll journey in that. And so he left them the third time. And then the very last part of Matthew 26, Jesus gets up the last time. I love this. 
The circumstances haven't changed. But his time in spending his focus upon God, it's, it says here that the, he said to the disciples, rise and let's go, for my betrayer has come. And he stepped right into the most difficult of circumstances because he knew at that point his heart was content that God was going to give him the strength. What a legacy he left us, did he not? Aren't we so glad that Jesus spent time in the garden wrestling with that rather than avoiding it? Aren't we, aren't we glad that Jesus took the, the skill in and the, and his body and he gave his body, he sacrificed his body, he gave his body, he gave it all, he went through the torture and the beatings, he gave it all, he, he stewarded all of that for you and I? Aren't we glad that he did that? Aren't we glad that he was content to go to the cross? That in the middle of all of the circumstances, he was willing to submit to obedience and do what God has called upon him to do. I don't know, you may have lost a job. You may have lost a family member. And this Thanksgiving, you may be missing a, a person at the table. And it hurts. And I'm not saying that you don't need to have to avoid that hurt. Jesus, Jesus embraced it. He went into that. And he said, God, I don't like this, but I'm going to choose that you are the sufficient God, that you're the one that's going to give me the power and the strength through this. My last garden is this, the garden of unmet expectations. So there was the pivot in the garden of Eden. If they would have just pivoted they wouldn't have given in to discontent. Jesus facing the garden of heartache and heartbreak in his life, and he pivoted in submission to God, and because of that, we all have this great, great hope in us that Jesus lives, and he's there. He's our all-sufficiency in everything. And then there's this conversation that Paul has in Philippians 4. You know, Paul did not get the job of writing Hallmark cards, okay? As a form of uh, saying gratitude for what was being done. If you look at Ephesians 4.10, <laughs> Paul says this, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last, I mean at last, you renewed your concern for me. Have you ever had those moments when you've been kind of expecting and it's never showed up. And then you get kind of discontent inside. Going, uh, I thought they were going to pay me. I thought they said they were going to, well, I haven't seen it yet. And you start getting discontent. That's what was happening with Paul here. He's in prison. He's waiting for a gift to be given to him. He's waiting for supplies to be given to him. And it wasn't coming as well as it coming. And he said, well, they must have forgot about me. And he went down that path of expectation that they were going to be at a certain time. But then he pivots in that verse, and he says this, Indeed, you were concerned for me, but you had no opportunity to show it. What voice are you listening to? What are you looking and comparing your life by? What is lingering in your eyes, in your mind, and in your heart, treasuring in your heart, where you're looking at others? Unmet expectations. I would call this the garden 
of your living room or maybe you have that remote control what are you listening to as you see those special commercials that tell you you're going to sleep better and cook better if you just bought that knife and you just bought that my pillow your pillow's been fine all these years but now all of a sudden that my pillow might be the trick for me that I may be content or maybe you're maybe you're uh, reaching your back pocket and you pull out your phone and you get on Facebook and you're scrolling through Facebook and you're looking at all the things that everybody else is experiencing and you say to yourself I want to experience that I want to be able to do that in fact oh looky here so and so had a birthday party I thought I was one of their close friends I didn't get invited ever, has ever that happened to you I never get invited to birthday parties. I don't have any friends. You look at the Instagram, you get on your iPad, you listen to things on your iPad, you get on your laptop, and all the while the Word of God is sitting right next to you being a voice for you to tell you that God is your sufficiency. But we're so busy paying attention to all of this that we can't forget. We forget about this. This, that God would tell us that he is sufficient for all things. And Paul, at the very end of his letter, says this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let me tell you this. We've all been given much, have we not? We can't so quickly lose sight of all there is because we get focused on the one thing. And if we would just pivot from that one thing and quit listening to that voice from the, about that one thing, if we'd just pivot and actually take a look around and just embrace all that God has so graciously given to us. And maybe your circumstances are hard right now, and I'm so sorry they are. But God is your sufficiency in that, and, and it's the pivot of humbleness before God in a submissive heart to say, God, I don't want to go through this, take this from me, but you know what, not my will because I will mess it up if I do it, but your will be done. And if I invest my time in the word and in prayer and allow God to speak into my difficult circumstances, ultimately God will give you the strength to be able to stand up and to rise up and to be able to do something for someone else that you are so consumed about yourself with. And maybe that unmet expectation. To nurture and cultivate a heart of contentment comes within the power of the pivot, if you will. And I know you're probably thinking, Brian, I already heard that one sermon from you about the pivot. I don't mind being the pastor of the pivot. Because I think there's power in that. 
It's an intentional move you say in your heart and your mind. I'm not going to get bite into the falsehood and the lies of the world. I'm going to choose to pivot toward God's word. I'm going to choose to pivot toward God. I'm going to choose to submit to God and steward that which God has given to me. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 says this. We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way. Jesus. Just as we are, yet he did not sin. Yet he did not pivot to discontentment. Yet he stayed focused and steward and gave his life, knowing God was his sufficiency in all things. And let us then, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in the time of our need of discontent. See, Jesus says, Paul said, I found the secret. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When you get discontent, it's because of weakness in your life. And Jesus says, I'll give you the strength. I'll be your sufficiency for you. I will help you. You see, to nurture and cultivate a heart of contentment comes as we learn the power of the pivot. That in all circumstances, we have been given much through Christ who strengthens us. Blessed contentment is found in the pivot of submission that my God is my all-sufficiency. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, all of us have different places in our gardens. All of us have those moments. And Jesus, I pray that you are our strength, you're our help in time of need. I don't know what circumstances, there's circumstances here in this room and in the, in, the, uh, um, in the venue, I know, that are difficult and hard. And Jesus modeled for us that when we want something taken from us, if we would just embrace and find the sufficiency of the grace and strength that comes from you, we can face the difficult circumstances and come out richer and bolder for your kingdom. Lord, may we, may we live and understand the secret of contentment in all things of life is pivoting our focus to you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.